Good morning. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm Ulrich Brussel. Each week we discuss filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them. Not as experts, but as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. So it's happened, Ulrich. Yeah, what's happened? I've finally surpassed you on view counts with Lone. Oh, really? Yeah, nice. I think yesterday was the day. Oh, really? So the student has become the master. Oh, yeah. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. <laughs> you knew it was going to happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no way that it wasn't going to happen. With, with the rate of growth that you had on there, yeah. I mean, eventually you were going to go over overpass. I had a thought um, a week ago or so. I was just like, I was looking at my YouTube and I don't have Strange Thing on YouTube. And I was like, yeah. well, maybe I should just reach out to CG Bros and see if they want to put a Strange Thing on their channel. <laughs> And I was yeah. like, well, I don't know. Would that be too much of a copycat move for me? Or I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's worth it. Why yeah, not? I should just reach out. I mean, yeah. you know. Who but, are you worried about thinking that you're gonna you're a copycat? Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, that was just part partly a thought, but it was mostly just like. Dude, I copied you just to get those number of views. And then I stumbled <laughs> upon the CG bros and I was like, oh, whoa, cool. That's yeah, a good idea. True. Um, yeah. I wonder, here's another idea I was thinking about getting views because um, the way that it works with like a brand like Cheetos, they buy a certain number of eyeballs and kind of like seed it out there. I wonder if like instead of giving your money to a film festival, if you put that money into Facebook advertising or I don't know how much YouTube costs pre-rolls. Maybe you could like buy a 15 second pre-roll that people could watch a trailer for your movie and then click on it if they're interested. I wonder if that's like a way to get more views. Oh, absolutely. I, I was talking to a woman who's, um, you know, in PR and that was her mm-hmm. advice was like to spend like 500, 1000, whatever, $2,000 on yeah. some, I don't know what she called it. It was like, she basically said it was sort of like, Google ads, but a little bit different, Ooh. you know, and it's basically like a network or a company that will, um, position your link for you, you know, and position your video in different for like markets. the right audience. Yeah. With the audience that you're targeting. That's interesting. And, and you're not really buying views. You're just kind of buying, you're buying it, getting it out there into the right places. So the clicks are natural. It's not like people are being paid to click on your link. It's, it's right, like, exactly. they're just, it's just being put in front of people. So they, they know that you're going to get a certain amount of clicks from, you know, what they're doing. And then right. hopefully once the content- you have the click, you have to keep them interested to keep watching your video. Right. And, and if the content's good or, you know, like, yeah, if, if people like the video, then they'll naturally share it, you know, and hopefully that'll be like a good launching pad to get it out there. So I feel like doing what I did exactly last time for Strange Thing, plus that, plus um, a couple other things that she recommended. She was saying that, like, you know, trying to set up interviews for your star is like kind of important, Ooh, you know. Yeah. And like, since I have somebody who's a little bit of a well-known name. It's like if he's willing to do interviews, like that'll be really useful because like I can, you know, position it with all these different um, media outlets. Um, so interesting. It's almost like you have to think about how would a film studio do it and then do it on a small scale. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely can't do this alone because it's it's just too overwhelming for me, you know, but yeah. um, in concert with a. Uh, you know, with a PR person or, 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 you know, even somebody who just has a little bit of experience, I think it'll be okay. And I, 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 this one woman might help me out. And then I have another contact who would probably know the same stuff that she does. And I'm going to reach out to both of them and see if they're interested in, uh, 
you know, lending That's me cool. a hand. Yeah. I can't wait to hear how that goes. Yeah, I mean, dude, like I got I this film festival thing's been rough. I just got uh, rejected from Tribeca on Friday, <laughs> which is like okay or whatever, not a big surprise, right? But I mean, right, you know, well, we talk about this before. It's like you kind of know you're not going to make it in, but as long as that letter hasn't arrived yet, there's still that hope. There's hope that maybe you will, and then when it comes and it shatters any hope, you're just like, all right, well. That sucks. Yeah. Time to move on. And I'm only waiting to hear back from top tier festivals at this point. Like, I think I've got Aspen, um, San Francisco International, uh, Seattle International, mm-hmm. and then like the Oakland International Film Festival. Well, the Oakland one is like the one that I have a really good chance of getting into. The other three right. are like long shots. Um, but so there's only four left on your list. I think so. There might be a couple others I can't remember. Oh, there's the London Science Fiction Film Festival, which is also a long shot. I mean, but if I got into that, I would go to London because <laughs> that's like it's like a, one of the biggest uh, science fiction film festivals in the world. Um, we're talking about Brother right now, right? Yeah, for Brother. Yeah, yeah. And so, because you said that you were going to release Brother, kind of in conjunction with the film festival, and if you don't make it into a film festival, you're just going to be like, fine, I'll just figure out my own online premiere. Or are you going to rent a theater? Like, you think how, I'm going to rent plan? a theater? I got to talk to um, to Capone about it more. But yeah, I mean, that would be the idea is to, to rent a theater in New York and do like a premiere there, you know, like a premiere event and sell tickets and stuff. And then, you know, hopefully like have like some sort of social media embedded in the event. So like, you know, on the screen or on their tickets, like say like, you know, tweet out the link or go to this thing and, and click on this or whatever, or like get on your phones right now and, and blah, 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 and put this in and whatever, do that kind of thing. So like everybody will like be tweeting the link out like during the show. So it'll be live during the event, you know, and then they'll get to see it on the big screen and then it'll go and then they'll instantly be able to share it with their, all their networks, you know, and then the articles that go about it will, you know, hopefully there'll be some articles written about the event as well. And then the same thing, I don't know, like, you know, hopefully it'll just be a big spread, but I mean, I don't know. Like if I get into a film festival, like the San Francisco international, like let's say like what I still want to do in New York event. And it almost feels like I should. Right. Cause yeah, it seems like you should do it either way. Yeah. So I don't know. I got to start planning that thing. Um, and cause he, you out. said he's like the, the host of midnight at the Apollo. Yeah. Yeah. So he probably has like, that's probably his biggest fan base is New York. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's big in New York and in Atlanta, I think. So I was really bummed when I didn't get into, get into the Atlanta Film Festival. I was like, fuck. <laughs> that was my shot, man. <laughs> did you write a cover letter and say it's starring Capone? I, yeah, I think I did, yeah. yeah. I, Who knows if people read those, right? I, I should have probably done more pushing and more outreach to these, to these film festivals, but I just kind of didn't really do as much pushing as I should have. Um, and I don't know, sometimes that pushing, I don't know if that really helps, like sending them emails and being like, and campaigning to them a little bit. I think sometimes it might just get annoying, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. I would love to talk to somebody who runs a festival. I've always, I've heard stories from people who are like screeners at festivals, but I feel like that's not a true representation of like how it works. Yeah. Getting past the screeners is always the, the challenge, you know, like, cause there's just all these volunteers who screen your movies or screen all the movies. And like, yeah, you get two. I think you get two volunteers at most film festivals to watch, like two random people. And if, both those people don't like science fiction automatically you're done or at least i'm done right. 
So I just kind of feel like the way that this whole, like, especially now that there's so many movies, like every film festival is getting like probably a thousand more submissions every year. It feels like, you know, oh, yeah. um, and I just, although I did look at the, the Sundance stats for last year or this year, I guess it is. Oh yeah. Um, and they weren't actually that far off from the year before. Well, I mean, that makes sense because I think people realize that Sundance is impossible to get into. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me read it to you because I, I, I just sent this to somebody. So in 2015, there was 118 feature films. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. 118 were selected. Yeah, there's no way there's only yeah, 118. Um, We'd all get in. <laughs> right. 4,105 feature films and 8,061 short films. Wow. And then in 2016 they didn't break it down they just said there's 12,793 submissions which is about 600 more than Mm. the year before so it's not a huge amount but yeah I guess it's hundreds more that's a lot that's a lot of people making movies I just know that like some of the smaller film festivals especially have I've I've seen a lot of growth I think you know Um, yeah and like yeah I think like Tribeca got like like 8,000 or something stupid like that. I mean, short in, films or just films in general, or, films, or maybe yeah. that was South by Southwest. Like, well, there were, I just see the numbers just seem to be getting really big, you know? It's like, yeah, no wonder, uh, I don't have a shot, you know, <laughs> out of like 4,000 something films for a small film festival. It's like, yeah. geez, Louise. But I mean, I don't know. I feel like people are making way more shorts than features. And I think that's, that's been that way for a long time. And I think that's always going to be that way, you know? Yeah, of course. So I think your, doable. your odds with a feature are probably way better, you know? Um, if with still, a good though, feature. 4,000 features at Sundance. Well, fuck Sundance, man. I mean, look, dude, like, you're not getting into Sundance unless you have a connection. Like, you're just not. Like, it's not, I mean, maybe, like, there's, like, one person who does, like, or two well, The only people. way you get into Sundance is if you have, like, a name actor in your film, I feel. Yeah, or, or like, I think they probably do take some movies that don't have, like, super famous people or whatever and, like, are done by unknowns. But, I mean, I think there's probably one of those a year out of like you know whatever and the rest of them are all like spots that are selected by you know studios or you know because they knew somebody or because the big actor is involved or something you know like so hard man of those 4,000 feature films let's say like that's all that exists for that year like everybody who made a feature film submitted to Sundance how many of those people are then submitting to some of the other secondary festivals do you think I don't know I mean, I would like to think a lot of them, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, it was less than I thought. Like, I would think like, you know, 80% or something, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was more like 70% or 60%. Let's say it's still even like, of those 4,000, 3,000 are being submitted to a festival like Cinequest. Right, right. You're still competing with 3,000 people. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. That's crazy. It's just, it is crazy, man. I mean, I feel like... It just like... goes to show, like, when you look at these statistics and you just think about, like, all the films that are online, too, that the rules of the game have completely changed from, like, all the stories that we know of, like, people reaching success. Now there's, like, new stories coming out of, like, the guy who did Panic Attack that directed the new Evil Dead movie. But I think we're still trying to figure out, like, how, what... How do people even get noticed in this world? Yeah, I just don't think film festivals are as viable as they used to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I just think it's it's just such a crapshoot, you know, and it's so tough to get in. Like, I think you're just better off um, forging an audience online. I just think that's, 
just seems like the way to go, you know? Like, I mean, yeah. it's it's harder. I th- well, I don't know if it's harder. I think it's it's easier. <laughs> uh, but I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. In terms of getting numbers of people to see it, like if you think like a movie theater at a film festival might have 100 people in it if you're lucky. Yeah, right? I mean, like e- even, even like with Over My Dead Body, which didn't, you know, do as well as we hoped. Like, you know, we got like, what, 2,000 views or something like that yeah, from I it? Yeah, I think we're at around 2,000. That's probably more than than strange thing yeah that's more pe- that's probably more of you there's more people watching it than strange thing did in all the film festivals it played at right. you know right <laughs> even that even right there you know so it's it's just i just feel like yeah i don't know i think you can do a lot online and as you as you've proven with a loan there's a lot of avenues and different ways to get it done um, so I don't know. I just think that like putting energy into that seems like it makes more sense than trying to put energy into, you know, getting into all these film festivals. So when did we do our film festival episode? Cause we're on like episode 38 now. And I think we talked about this stuff pretty early on. <laughs> right. I think within the first 10, right? Yeah. So it's, it sounds like our point of view hasn't changed at all. Yeah, I think I've probably even gotten more away from film festivals since then. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't but that know. was pretty much our walk away from that episode. Was film festivals are so much fun. Like, don't count them out, but also know that it's not going to be a big boost to your career. It's more about just seeing it with an audience and getting to know other filmmakers and just having a fun time and celebrating your film. Yeah, totally. I mean. Uh, the drone movie I, I did, the little drone like video thing, like that's playing at a, a film festival in New York this month, and I can't go, unfortunately. But I mean, oh, it would be so much fun to like, yeah, just go. It's like a drone film festival, and uh, oh, really? just see it in my movie play at this film festival with all drones centric. It would be, it'd be pretty cool. But yeah, there's a film festival for everything, huh? All kinds of film festivals. There's a there's a film festival in the Bay Area. It's like called Briefs or something. Have you heard of this? It's like no, um, put on of shorts. Well, it's like yeah, it's but it's like sexual focused shorts, like erotica shorts. And uh, I was thinking that since my movie um, that I'm editing now, The Rage, has like a, a sex scene, that maybe I should submit it to that next year. Because it was like, it was at the Grand Lake Theater. And my goodness, like I went to a movie there the same night that the film festival happened. And it yeah. was completely sold out. Like oh, like wow. hundreds of people there. Like just lines around the block, all dressed up. Super big party event. I'm like, man, like this would be a great way for to, to just showcase my movie, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe next year, like I'll, I'll probably, I'll obviously release it online before that, but I mean, it'd be fun to to see if it would get in and get to get a chance to play on the big screen, you know? Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. Seeing it with an audience. Absolutely. What else is going on with you? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was on vacation last week, which was really fun. Um, it kind of came at not the best time because there's just like a lot of things going on, like a lot of work and I'm working, starting to work on this feature next week and stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but I know it's, it's good. Like, I think since last week I was talking about being stressed out over everything, you know, and, um, I feel a lot better. You seem much more relaxed this week than you did last week. Oh yeah. Way more. Um, and then what else? I also started on the plane to and back from the trip. I started rewriting the alternate a bunch, which was exciting. And sort of deciding yeah. that I wanted to change a lot of the opening. The thing that I hate about making changes to a screenplay is that I don't know if it's going to completely work until I've shared it with other people. 
and it just makes it always makes me nervous like ah i'm changing things it feels right right now but i could find out after like three months of rewriting that i share with people and nobody thinks it works as well as the old one did right it's like start over again it's also like the flow too like you know i feel like like the script has been rewritten so many times and there's like things that still exist from the very original draft. And then there's things that are like brand new and like the brand new things and the things from the original draft, they don't necessarily feel like they fit in the right way, especially right. for a read. So I'm basically yeah. trying to go through the whole thing and kind of rejigger it. So it like kind of feels smoother and like more yeah. like it like all connects and like these sequences, like there's like a lot of sequences of long description and I, I have to keep a certain amount of that in there, but I'm also trying to, to like shorten the description sections just because it's like, we, I don't want to get bogged down and like all this stuff that's happening like in the room when maybe that's not the most important thing for the reader to be reading, although I know those things will be happening or exist in, yeah, in the Yeah, you're room. directing it. You know what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, so. I don't need to explain to them like every single thing of, uh, that's on the wall that's going to maybe play in later. Like, I know they're there. Right. You know, the, the audience isn't necessarily... Need, the reader doesn't necessarily need to know they're there. No, the, I totally agree with you. Yeah, so I think there's, there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm, I'm feeling kind of reinvigorated about it again, you know? And so I'm, I'm definitely going to try to like... Even though I'm going to be really busy in the next um, month or so, I'm I'm going to try to like you know work on it on a regular basis. You know, just keep on chipping away at it every every day. That's great. Yeah. What about you, man? What's going on? Uh, well, now that my Cheetos project is almost over and I don't really have any film stuff lined up, I'm just starting to get into that like post project depression where I feel like oh man I'm never gonna get a chance to direct again like this is it <laughs> why do you why do you feel that way man do you ever feel that after you you're done with a project um yeah I guess I probably felt that way uh ha like maybe like a when when strange thing was released I think I felt that way when I finally yeah like it's, after... it's usually because with yeah, the film part of it is after the film's released. Because what after you're done shooting, you have all the other post production stuff to do. Yeah. But then once it's done, unless you're working on something else, and there's just this empty period of time with nothing, you're just like, ah, uh, what? I mean, I'm writing some stuff right now. I have a few like projects in the script phase, but none of them are necessarily going to even get made because I still have to go find money. Right. So there's nothing like on the horizon that I'm like, that's a for sure thing. I'm going to be directing it. It just right now feels like the future is black and there's <laughs> no directing jobs. And it's like, well, am I ever going to get a, a chance to direct again? I mean, is this it? Was that it? Uh, I know it's not true. There's going to be something that happens. But with that, it's like that uncertainty of the future right now that's just kind of like a little depressing. Well, yeah. And at, at work, I'm back to producing. But why do you feel yeah. that way? Because you have Haunted Toy House that you're working on and, and making progress with. Like, why do you feel that way with that project? Well, that project's not finished writing yet. And then it's so expensive right now that I don't even know how I'm going to put it together. So it's not even a, a it's not even real to me yet. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, yeah, it's, it's still just a, an awesome idea that I, I'm excited to do, but I don't, I have no idea how I'm going to pull it off yet. So, but first things first, I just have to get it written and then in, in a place where I'm really happy with it. But then I still have, who knows how many years it's going to take me to put it, piece it together as a production. Right. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's a, that's an interesting thought, I suppose. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily... Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's a valid thought. I think it's like just an emotion, <laughs> you know, and not really based on reality. Um, but I always think it's like, you know, if if you're working on this project that you're writing, and I know it's still in the writing phase, but aren't you... You should be like, well, I don't know. I like try to think about what how I'm going to push this forward to get it made as soon as possible and like all the things mm-hmm. that I'm going to do to like, you know, try to get get things going like i mean what's stopping you from raising money for it right now i guess that's my main question you know um just it's the budget's too high with like because it's two million or something it's right now the budget i have is like four million four million god you gotta get out of your like you know commercial brain four million you're not gonna ever get four million like i mean why couldn't you do it for a million or two million I mean, right now it's based off of pretty much just how I want it to look and the number of shoot days I feel like I need as a director to get the pieces that I need. How many shoot days do you have? I don't remember. It's something like 30. 30? Man. Yeah, it's like three <laughs> pages a day. <laughs> oh, jeez. I wish we all could have 30 days, man. <laughs> I mean, most filmmakers at our level that I talk to, they shoot their movies in like 14 days or 12 days or something, right. you know? But uh, I don't know. I think like 24 is like a nice number or even 20, you know, like that seems like a reasonable time to, to get a 90 yeah. page script done. But, you know, without having a finished script, it's hard for me to even put a bunch of brain power towards figuring out how to shoot it because things keep changing. So, right. I mean, and I, and I know this from producing as for my day job is it's really hard to put a number or anything to an idea that hasn't been fully fleshed out. So I have to wait until the script's in a place that's a little bit more solidified. I know the pieces that I'm dealing with and then I can, you know, put pencil to paper, like sharpen my pencil, get the numbers down, kind of figure it out. At the same time, I don't know if I'm the one to figure out how to make it, how to, how to make it doable for a cheaper amount of money. Right. Right. Yeah. You mean as a director or as a as a producer? I'm just like, that's not my specialty as a producer. I'm not a line producer. I don't really know how much it costs to hire crew members. So I'm just guessing. Yeah. Well, it depends on who you get, right? <laughs> yeah. It depends on who you get. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like indie rates for movies, it's, it's like a delicate subject, right? Because like, you know, people want a full rate, but, you know, indie movies don't have full rates to give. And yeah. it's like, well, what what are you comfortable getting? And I think a lot of times people aren't really comfortable saying what they're willing to work for because they don't want to be locked into that number, you know? So it's really like a, a tough neg- negotiation game that you have to play where you're just like, okay, like, this is what we've got. Like, are, will you be able to make it work for this? And like, then see what they say, you know? But I think coming at it from a place of humility is always good because it's like you don't want to be like, yeah, you should be lucky to get this opportunity. It's more like, no, like, you're like, I know you're worth like, a lot more than this, exactly. but I'm sorry, but this is something I really want to do. I really want you on it because I think you're going to be the right fit for it. Right. Could you do it for this amount? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I think that. If, especially if that comes from a place of truth of like honesty like if you really feel that way like i think that'll make a big difference you know yeah but like yeah i've seen some people who just think that like the more aggressive approach is the way to go and it's just i don't think it i mean i don't know man i don't know anybody who would who would work you know under that kind of energy you know yeah 
but so you know the haunted toy house right now is like the the project that i i would love to do and it's like kind of the closest to being doable because the script's almost done but at the same time because it's so expensive i mean even at let's say i got the cost down to one million even if i got it down to one million i would still feel overwhelmed with trying to raise money for it so now i'm like thinking about is there another idea i can do for like a hundred thousand that's not haunted toy house something that's just like a single location few actor type scenario nice awesome yeah so that's me awesome should we talk about kickstarter let's do it do you want to sort of set this up for everybody yeah, I mean, we just have a few things on Kickstarter to talk about. We we did an episode of like why Kickstarter, like why would you choose Kickstarter over Indiegogo or some of the other platforms out there? But we never talked about what we think makes a good Kickstarter campaign. And as, as someone who's raised ninety six thousand dollars on Kickstarter and was one of the the most funded short films on that platform, and then Ulrich having raised what you raised like thirty thousand? No, like twelve. How much 12, did you thousand. raise? Oh, 12. I mean, that's still a lot of money. It's like <laughs> We both have experience with raising money on Kickstarter. And I think we can talk about why, you know, what we thought helped our Kickstarter campaigns and kind of some of the things that you need to think about if you're going to do it. Because I think there's like this perception that you just like put something up on Kickstarter and then people find yeah, it. Yeah, which is completely, completely not the way to do it. You need you need to put yeah. so much energy into it. it's ridiculous and I and I would also say that like right now this sort of sounds like a Kickstarter commercial um, but I think the, this applies to any of the crowdfunding campaigns yeah, or platforms you know and if you want to find out why we chose Kickstarter go back to our episode it's it's in within the first ten episodes I believe and we talked about why we chose Kickstarter and if we would choose it again right this is just more about. What what do you what pieces do you need to attract people to your project and then um, encourage them to give to it? So things like what do you put on your page um, in both the text section and then also the video, and what kind of information do you need in your in your video, and then how do you get, reach out and tell people about it? Right, right, exactly. So how did you? What did you start with? I mean, did you you started with a a, a scene that you shot, right? That was what your yeah. first thing you did. But before I did anything, I signed up for Kickstarter and I started following a few campaigns. I, I took the advice that Kickstarter gave, which is just go and you know be a backer in a few things and see how it works. And so I backed a few projects and kind of got a feel for it and looked around and found campaigns that inspired me to to back them. So it wasn't, I just didn't just pick random ones and be like, oh, okay, whatever. I actually found campaigns that inspired me. And then using what I learned from what made me com compelled to give, then I applied that to my own project. So for me, the the project that was kind of like the template um, was The Princess Cicada, which is a, a local stop animation film. Mm. And I noticed that in their video, they had a bunch of stuff that was already shot. And it looked so cool. You're just like, oh my God, that movie looks amazing. It wasn't just somebody standing in front of the camera talking about what the movie was going to be. They had like proof of concept. And so that gave me the idea, well, I should do that. I should go shoot the first scene and then I can show people what I'm trying to do mm. rather than just talk about it. Interesting. So yeah, uh, the first video that was up, it was up for... I think about a week and a half or two weeks before I had that first scene done was 
um, some behind the scenes footage of me on set shooting that first scene, talking about my background and why uh, they should trust me. And then I had some concept art that I had hired a company to do that I included in there. And then I also explained like why I needed so much money and that I couldn't do that, do this movie without people's help. And that was to me like the biggest thing was like to go on Kickstarter and say, I need $2,000 for a short film kind of felt like, can't you just pull $2,000 out of the bank and go do it? Mm -hmm. But something like $96,000 or $95,000 is what I was asking for was kind of like, why? wow, that's that's a lot of money. That's not something I can just dip into my bank account and make happen. Right. This was something that really needed people's help. So that's kind of the angle that I came at it with was, I need your help to make this movie. So uh, if, if you guys don't give, and the cool thing about Kickstarter is if you don't reach your goal, you get nothing. I can honestly say, if I don't reach this goal, this movie's not going to get made. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you had like a similar kind of like... Uh, project page that you modeled yours after too right yeah i'm trying to remember what who i modeled mine after at the time i know who i'd model mine after now um but i think it was more like ones i had seen after my kickstarter campaign but uh but yeah well just name one that you like now so people can go check it out i really like the blue ruin one a lot oh yeah you've that's my favorite um just because i think it's really clean and crisp and it's got really great um great amount of information and then just really good perks you know i also yeah. really like the um that's a mighty number no. nine it's a video game and i backed what backed them and i like the way they did it too i think they probably have maybe too much information on their page you know but uh they did a really great job of updating and like you know they they hit a whole bunch of stretch goals i think they had like five or six stretch goals and each time they would hit a new stretch goal or they would get close to a stretch goal. They would update an image they made of like all the stretch goals. And they would be like, it was like this graphic where I was like, okay, here's stretch goal number one, stretch goal, stretch goal number two. And then they'd have like what they would be. And then they had like a whole bunch of other stretch goals listed with question marks. Like, whoa, we have all these other things that we'll do. We don't know what they are yet until you give us the money, you know? And then as we'll reveal it. Exactly. And it's as they would reach their stretch goals, they would reveal the next stretch goal. So it was yeah. kind of fun. Um, but, uh, that's cool. But yeah, I think when I went into Kickstarter, I was really a noob, man. And I didn't really know, like, I thought I knew a lot about Kickstarter and that, like, oh, yeah, you got to be really prepared and you have to have a really great page and all this stuff. But I, I and like really good perks. Like, I, like, I knew my perks. Like, I wanted my perks to be good. Like, I wanted to have t shirts and posters and Blu rays and DVDs and, you know, tickets to the premiere and stuff like that. I thought that was kind of important. Like, I wanted, like, I wanted people to, like, actually want the perks and that they weren't just going to be, like, stupid, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, there was a band. I think the band thing. Yeah, there's a band that I used to, that I still follow. I think they're called the Stone Foxes. And yeah. uh, they did a, a thing through Pledge Music where they did something similar where their perks were really fun. And they did ones, like, really goofy ones where, like, oh, well, this band member will you know, sing you a song or this band member will make you a, you know, a special unique video just for you. Or this band member will, you know, take you out to dinner or this one will go, uh, make sandcastles with you at the beach. Like it was just, you know, like really kind of fun, different things. So I was trying to think of 
fun things like that to do too. So I did like one, like I'll teach you how to make a movie or like I'll write a script with you or, you know, things like yeah. that. And I think no one did, did most of those, but somebody did the make like uh like take a class on making a movie. Um, but then they ended up not actually needing it because they were already producing their own feature film. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, yeah, I found that when I was looking at other people's Kickstarter pages that I wasn't really interested in the rewards beyond just getting the movie. Mm. So for me, when I was putting together my rewards, I kind of knowing that I felt that way, I figured a lot of people did. But I also knew that the more I got, the less people I'd need to give. So um, my tactic was to make $100 be the most exciting option possible. So then I'd need 95, what was it? 950 people giving $100 each was my goal. So I made the $100 reward. uh, You get the movie, uh, you get a poster, and you get invited to a theatrical screening in San Francisco. And then if we had a hundred or more people given a a particular city, we would also bring the movie there. So New York then ended up being one and LA ended up being one. So now we're going to premiere it in three cities in movie theaters. So, and I, and I, and I said this even in my video, it's like, I believe that movies are meant to be like seen in a darkened theater, like with an audience. So I, you know, I really played it up and really wanted this to be like a big thing. For people hmm. so and, and it worked i got a lot of people giving up the hundred dollar level so here's a question for you like when you were yeah. thinking about that did you calculate the cost of running the theater into the the perk like yeah you did absolutely okay cool yeah so you, yeah so it's like my my goal 95 um knew i would be losing roughly 10 percent to the kickstarter fees and the credit card processing fees plus all the uh all the rewards that I had to buy, including the theater rentals and the movie posters and that, and then also my film budget. So I think I walked away from that campaign after all the processing fees with like 83,000, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, several thousand of that went towards rewards. And my movie budget was actually not even close to a hundred thousand. It was like 75 or something like that. Hmm. And then did you end up having to raise more money after that to to make the movie or was 75,000 enough? Uh it wasn't enough, but I just ended up having to pay for it out of my own pocket. Wow. So, I probably put in close to 30,000 to get this movie made. Wow. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's like ridiculous how much it costs. Yeah, I mean I had a similar experience. Like I I I did plan for the the Kickstarter like fees and then all the other stuff in there but then like you know just to be honest like I didn't actually meet my full $12,000 goal like I had to goose part of it and so like it was yeah I ended up not really like getting as much as that in the end and then I had to put a bunch of my own money into it to to make it happen I mean I really probably needed to ask for 20,000 it was what I really probably should have asked for but I was like oh I don't know if I can get that much 
And so then, you did you set your goal lower in hopes that people would like not see it as so daunting, but they would overgive and you would actually reach where you wanted to be? Yeah, I was kind of kind of hoping that it was going to skyrocket, you know, like a lot of these other ones did. Yeah. You know, I but, think that's uh, a mistake, and I and I've seen that happen before. Like I asked for ninety five because I knew that I could make my movie for that amount. And had I been like, oh, that just sounds like too much, I'm going to put it at seventy five, and then just hope that I get an extra twenty. I, it wouldn't have worked because as soon as I hit 95, people stopped giving. Right. Because the way I think the, the psychology behind Kickstarter is if people reach their goal, then the project gets made. So there's really not a, a huge incentive for people to keep giving. And I think that those stretch goals are, are kind of bullshit. And the only reason the stretch goals happen, I think, is because there's just enough demand for people to do it. But I don't think that they actually... Uh, encourage people to give more I, I really don't or i don't think it inspires anybody to give more at least not for me i think it inspires people to give more if they're getting more back and i think that's why the stretch goals work for other people but if you're not offering anything extra if you're just you know maybe offering uh yeah i don't know yeah if you're not really saying oh you're gonna get this much more bang for your buck like we're going to be able to do this kind of scene or this kind of scene or this kind of thing. Or, you know, the movie's now going to be, you know, a feature length instead of a short film or whatever. Like, I don't really feel like, yeah, I think you're right, you know. Um, and I think that's why the, the people who do have stretch goals do do well because that's what they're doing. Like, in the video game one, they're like, well, you're going to have, you know, if you hit this stretch goal, we're going to do a whole nother level. If we hit this stretch yeah. goal, we'll have a whole nother boss for you. If you did I this stretch works. goal... Better for like video games or products or something, but for movies, I I don't I'm not convinced that stretch goals actually work. So I had a stretch goal in mind. Um, it was just like if we raise an extra ten thousand dollars, I think like I would be able to do a scene that I've already cut from the script because I just know I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it encouraged people. I think it people just go to Kickstarter, they click on a link, they look at it, they see how much more needs to be raised. And if it's already raised its amount of money, I, I think most people just bail because they know that at some point they're going to be able to see it. So right. I think to inspire people to give money uh, be, once the money's already raised is really, really hard. And it's like some something like Shenmue, which I gave money to, which is the uh, Japanese video game. I think there's just so many people out there that wanted to play that game that they hit a bunch of stretch goals, not because people wanted the stretch goals, but just because that was going to happen no matter what. Right. The stretch right. goals were bonus, but I don't think it encouraged people to to actually put money into it. I think they just like, oh, I want that game. I'm going to put my fifty bucks in to get it. Right. Exactly. I think that I think it's just like making a product that people really want, you know, or like creating a page yeah. that really gets people excited, and then you know damn the stretch goals like i i didn't even really have for a strange thing i didn't have a stretch goal in mind at all like i was just like you know i, th I was like i thought that twelve thousand seemed like something i could actually reasonably get you know because yeah. i felt like getting going higher than that would be like too asking too much for a short film you know and that like but i was just kind of hoping that it was going to go viral like all these other ones had you know <laughs> that's what i hope and too, i didn't yeah. really realize that um that is not what happens to 95 percent of uh kickstarter campaigns <laughs> you know uh and, and i i think i was just naive man like i didn't really plan as much as i should have i i my timing was really bad like i just made a bunch of mistakes you know um but i i mean there are mistakes i would never make again you know um yeah. and and like it was kind of frustrating because 
I was sort of a part of a Kickstarter recently for the Rage. It wasn't my Kickstarter, but it was for the movie that I made. And uh, yeah, like I just saw them or him make kind of the same mistakes I made. And I was trying to give him advice, but it just seemed like, you know, that was the amount of time he had to put into it. And that's what he was able to do. But, you know, you really need to like give so much more to, to a Kickstarter in order for it to to be successful. I mean, it really needs to be a, like a, a full-time job, you know? Yeah. It's a huge project. So my advice for people is ask for what you need. Don't yeah. lowball it. Don't think that you're going to get more. I think you just have to imagine that once people see that the goal has been raised, it, the, the amount of money that trickles in is going to stop. Yeah. And, you know, do it yourself. Go to Kickstarter and find some projects that you're excited about and just see what it what it feels like to do it. Because I think that's a really good way to learn. The other thing that I think is huge is don't think that people are going to actually read your page. They probably won't. I think everything needs to be in your video. And your video needs to be really compelling and it has to inspire people. And it can't be too long. I think yeah. you need to start off strong. Like I've, I've watched some Kickstarter videos that are just painfully bad. Like you turn it on and it takes two or three minutes before somebody even shows up in front of camera and says what they're what the project is and what they're asking for mm-hmm. and it's like you just have to like you have to imagine it's like a piece of advertising somebody has 30 seconds how are you going to get them in and yeah. tell them like right away hey my name is timothy plain i'm a writer director and i'm raising ninety six thousand dollars for the spirit machine and here's what that movie is like just go right into it and, and yeah. pull people in and show them an exciting visual I agree. Like you gotta be concise. You gotta be clear and it has to be compelling. And I think, you know, I I, I don't know. Like, I I think you're right about the page. Like people aren't necessarily going to read through your whole page, but I think that just goes to what you said, like be concise and clear. And, and, you know, I think making the page look nice is really important. You know? Yeah. I put a lot of info on my page and and I, it's cool that I did for the people that did want to kind of dig deeper into it. But I also knew that the in in me looking at other people's Kickstarter pages, I only watched the video, and that that's how I decided if I was going to give or not. The page was kind of like an additional bonus, like oh, that's a really cool. I want to read more about it. But that's the page is not the way you're going to get people to give. The page is almost more like a website for your film. So if people want to dig deeper into the who, what, why behind it, they can. Yeah, I usually read the page, but I mean, if the page has too much information on it, then I don't read it. But if it if it has like a nice clear amount of information, everything's broken up into like little sections, you know, and it it looks fun and and interesting, then I'll I'll definitely take more time to read it, you know. So I think the presentation to me seems to be really important in like you know the Kickstarter page. I think everything's important, but I think, you know, presenting <laughs> it really well and like having a great video, really nicely concise and clear page. And then, um, you know, really awesome perks that are like, yeah, I think you're right. Like trying to focus people into one perk is a really good idea. Like making, yeah, like if it's a $50 perk, make that the best one or a hundred dollar perk and that the best one, like whatever it is, you know, like I think that kind of strategy is really important, you know? Yeah. If you, if you say that people can get a copy of your movie for $10, just know that a lot of people are going to give $10. So, you know, if you, if you can make it $20, like what I did is I did, if you give $10, you get the first half of the movie and then $20, (laughs) you got the movie. And then for $50, you got like a, uh, a physical copy of the movie. And then for a hundred dollars, you got to see it in the movie theater with other people. How many people gave $10 to see half the movie? 
Quite a few, actually. Really? Yeah, That's I'll crazy. have to go back through. <laughs> I, just, um, I can't imagine anyone doing that. I'd be like, half the movie. I don't want a half the movie. I want the whole yeah. movie. Well, that's what I was hoping for. It's like, I didn't want to say you either give $0 or $20. I felt like that was a dick move. So well, what what do you think about those other strategies? Like $5 for a thank you, $10 for access to this, and then $20. To me, it's like, I still want to incentivize people to give. And like a thank you does not give me any incentive. Like if I want to be a part of a project, I want to like see something. So I, I at least made the, like the lowest level i believe my lowest level is 10 at least you get something for it like it just seems like a thank you fuck you i don't want to thank you yeah like i'm giving to your project because i i want to see i want to see something give me something that other people aren't going to get right right i saw oh i saw anomalisa this weekend which was raised money on kickstarter it was fucking ridiculous how long the credits were because they must have promised every single person who gave money to the movie would get their name in their credits. And it was dumb. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't promise people's names in the credits for any amount of money. It was ridiculous. People started walking out of the theater when that happened. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I mean, people walk out of the theater and during the, the credits anyways, you know, but I mean, <laughs> I don't. I watch I them all. I don't I watch either. Them all the way through. I love watching the the credits, and I, I I don't really mind that. I mean, you know, credits for movies are long, anyways, these days, especially like you know, action movies. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I I thanked everybody on um, my Kickstarter, even the ones who didn't, you know, like because I think I had a perk, like you'll get a thank you in the credits for at this perk or whatever. But I was just like. I was like, everybody, even if you gave $1, you got thanked, you know, like you got it. You got your name in the credits just because that's dumb. That's just, I don't, dumb. I don't know. Because the way that I feel about it is like, no one really needs that. I don't think anyone who puts that dollar up is like going to be excited. Their names in the credit. I think it's enough to just say thanks to everyone at Kickstarter who supported me. The way that I did it <laughs> is I, I gave people names in the credit if they put in like more than, I think $100 or more or something like that. So I do have a list in my credits, but it's much shorter. If I would have promised every single person, it's like, that's 450 names. That's just stupid. Why would you ever weigh down your credits with 450 names? I don't know, man. I think, uh, I I don't know. I just, I kind of feel like it's, it's to me, it seemed important. Like it was like, it seemed like the right thing to do. Like people were kind of enough to give money to the movie. The least I can do is, is put their name in the credits, you know, but I mean, I'd love to hear what other think. But think about the people that have, that have no connection to the Kickstarter campaign that have to sit through those credits, especially in a short film. Like, give me a break. Like, you're well, telling a short film, and then that you have to sit through credits that are like five minutes long because there's. Well, you don't make them names. five minutes long. You have to just make them super fast. Because, <laughs> because in, in a well, short film, well, then it defeats man, the purpose. But, but People no, but, see yeah, them. that's what someone else said. But it's like, fuck you. You gotta, you gotta just. It's gotta yeah. be quick because, like, you, you can't, you can't have credits be longer than thirty seconds for a short film. I think I mean, it's dumb. You know, I think it's dumb. Uh, Kickstarter backers out there. You tell me how important it is to see your name in the card. Yeah, I'd love to know. Do people even care? Like, I, I, yeah, I admit that that's I think, our opinion. But like, yeah, do I think you, would filmmakers you see your are name. I think p- filmmakers are forcing that on people because they're saying <laughs> they're just putting it in the rewards. It, it comes automatic. I think you, you should make people buy into it. If they really want it, they'll buy into it. All right. Well, yeah, I, I'm curious. I want to know. I want to know if people appreciate it or not. Like, would you like to see your name in the credits if you gave a dollar to Kickstarter or do you not care? Let's find out. 
<laughs> so is there any I think we should probably jump over to like what happens after your campaign is over, but is there anything else for like what makes a good Kickstarter campaign? You want to say any any words of advice from what you've learned on Strange Thing? I don't know. I would just say do a lot of research, uh, figure out exactly yeah. who your who your, you know, target audience is for this and then once you have the whole page put together, the video made and all that stuff, uh, just try to find the best avenue to premiere the Kickstarter uh, with, you know, like you probably want someone to write an article about it in some sort of blog or website where they're like, you know, got the exclusive story on your Kickstarter. And I don't know if you have a really good story around it like that really will, will make that happen. Um, but I think it's really hard with Kickstarters these days because there's so many of them. Like you, you really have to stand out from the crowd in a big way, I think, in order for any kind of writer or, or website or blog to really want to write about your Kickstarter. But yeah, I feel if like you, if you can't get it written up, just make sure you reach out to everyone you know, not just blast them over Facebook and no. Twitter. Like what I did is I emailed everyone I knew individually. I did like 10 emails a day or something. And I think you have to like, if you blast people, it's so easy for them to ignore it. But if you like reach out with an individual email and be like, Hey, Ulrich, I have this Kickstarter app. I'd really appreciate if you could check it out and give whatever you can, whether it's $5 or $10 or $500. Like I'll appreciate anything I can get. Cause I can't do it without you. It makes a yeah. huge difference. Like Ulrich gets that email. He's more likely to go check it out than if he just sees a post on my Facebook page. Or or an email blast, you know, where it's yeah. written to like, hey, you know, everyone. Right. Yeah. And I, and I did email blasts at first and then I talked to some people and then they were like, you can't do email blasts. Like, you know, you need to reach out individually. And then I started emailing individually after that point. Yeah. Uh, Call people. Yeah. Go. I visited offices at my company and just like went in and be like, hey, have you seen my Kickstarter project yet? And had them pull it up. But yeah, it's t- it takes a lot of work. Do not just put it up on Kickstarter and then expect people are going to find it. They won't. Yeah. There's so many yeah. projects. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I went to a uh, a Star Trek convention um and handed out flyers at the Star Trek convention and we got um this is really stupid, but like uh we got talked to by somebody who worked for Adventure Beat and we didn't really even realize at the time who, who what that was and they wrote they put us in an article about the 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 convention and they put the link to the oh, kickstarter wow. in in the article and i didn't find that until like months after so i had no idea that like we were written up cuz i didn't like go to the venture beat website to check you know so cuz i just you know, we were just, I, we just talked to this woman for like 10 seconds and she took a picture with us and then it was over and she was, I don't, I don't know if we even got a business card from her and we were just so worried about trying to hand out all our flyers. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I found later, much later that, yeah, there's this article with our picture in it. And like, I'm sure we got some backers from that, you know? So however you get people to see it, you just have yeah. to reach out and, and find a fan base. I mean, it's marketing. You have to to find those people and make sure that they hear about it in the most personal way possible, I think. Right, exactly. All right. So um, what happens after your campaign is over? Let's just talk about this quickly because the, I, when I went into this project, I didn't think about taxes at all. Mm-hmm. And it was only like <laughs> probably after I raised the money that it is like, what am I going to do about my taxes? And I did get a what is it a 1099 I think from mm-hmm. Amazon for the full amount that I raised ninety six thousand dollars as mm-hmm. income. So I'm now paying taxes on income, 
Now, luckily, I shot my movie in the same year I raised the money. But had I not, I would have had to pay taxes. And then I'd have to the next year, um, you know, deduct all those expenses for the film and try to get my tax money back. So my recommendation is spend all the money that you're raising in the year that you raise it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because otherwise you can't otherwise you're going to be paying taxes on income. I'm trying to think like how how it worked for me. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think it was because I, I think I, at that time I was paying estimated taxes and I did spend all the money in the same year, you know, because it was just like I just got it and I just went directly to paying off credit card, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't remember that being a big deal. But I think it depends, too. Like, you have to look into the rules about how they report it. I think it's like if if you have to have over 200 transactions, I think, which means you have to have more than 200 backers on your film. I don't think I I had more than 200. And that might be why you didn't get it. There are some rules around it. So um, but if you do raise a lot of money, just kind of keep that in mind. The other thing is in order to claim something on your taxes the way that you pay people for your film has to be done in a certain way so i didn't realize this either but anybody you any individual you pay more than six hundred dollars to you have to report that payment to the government yeah absolutely and unless you're paying like a corporation um like just a straight you know like invoice then you don't have to report that so I was lucky because I wasn't keeping track of that stuff, but I, in my head, I didn't want to pay a bunch of individuals, so I hired a company to kind of do everything for me. And oh, really? Wow. most of my money ended up going to that company to produce it. So I think I paid them like $70,000 to shoot the movie, and they ended up being a corporation when I did my taxes, so I didn't have to do any additional paperwork. Uh, and I was okay. like, oh my God, that could have been a nightmare because there were people I paid, and then I asked them for their w9 or w2 or whatever it is Mm -hmm. later on and they didn't send it to me Mm. and so i wasn't able to claim them yeah i um i just did that i i just did that for this last year because i hired people for well i hired them for brother and then i also hired them for you know other corporate video shoots and i just yeah i had like you know i don't know however many like uh i don't know 20 not 20, maybe 12, uh, you know, 1099s that I, that I have to file, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I just, that's just part of being a freelancer too. And I think like, yeah, but it's something me, that you have to, you're probably used to it, but there was like a new yeah. world to me. So if you, if you're not used to the whole tax side of things and you're raising a lot of money, just, just be careful, like look into it. I ended up just hiring a tax. What do you, what do you call that? Like tax consultant to okay. do my taxes the the year that I raised my money because I was like I have no idea how I'm going to take care of this and then she told me all the stuff I needed to do yeah so if you have any questions about taxes and you want to f- pick my brain on it se- send us an email at podcast at making movies is hard dot com and I'll answer it because it is just like a really kind of scary territory to yeah. delve into yeah I have a tax guy that I've been using for four or five years now and uh you know, we just have a system. Like I provide all my um, my numbers to him. Like I, yep. I tally up all my receipts, all my expenses for the year, all my the things I paid money for. Like yeah, like the movies, the crew members, the the productions, the equipment, everything. I have a huge document that I give him, and then he processes it all, and then he just yep. gets me the the most back that I that I possibly can. Yeah, just like taxes just suck because there's so many like rules and they change every year. 
And yeah. so it's hard to know like what like it's easy with the film productions, like whatever you paid for your production, you can deduct. But like things like home offices and like certain like web hosting and like you have to like just kind of like look into it and figure out what you can and what you cannot deduct. Yeah. And that's what's great about having a tax person because I just list everything and then he knows how much from this I can deduct and how much from this I can deduct, yeah. you know, and like there's like limits for everything, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that that's it. We don't have to say any more in that. It's just kind of like a heads up to people because it was something I did not even think about. And then when it happened, I was freaking out. Like ninety six thousand dollars income. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. that's like now that's I'm paying lot. taxes on that salary plus my regular salary. Oh man, I'm screwed. That's I'm like, pretty crazy. That, that like put me in a way higher tax bracket. Oh yeah, that's like double <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. Oh um, man. All right. Well, is there anything you want to finish off with? Anything you want to share? I just wanted to say that uh, you know, going into a Kickstarter um, or a crowdfunding of any kind, like just do your research. Like really, like take like months, well, however long you need to like just like figure out. Okay, what platform's best for my project? Is it Indiegogo? Is it um, Kickstarter? Is it um, Seed and Spark? Is it one of these other ones? Like, what is the best place for me to raise the money for the project I'm doing? And then once you've done that, like, where do I want to feature this? Like, who would I want to see this Kickstarter? And then like, figure all that out. And then like, what is the best website for to for my pr- project to be premiered on? And then figure that out. And then reach out to those people like way before you even launch, you know, and just started to figure it out and like take take it one step at a time. But like, you know, really don't rush into it, you know, like make sure that everything is perfect. Make sure you have the perfect video, the perfect perks, like do all the math, you know, like I think all those things are so, so crucial, you know, cause if you just rush into it, like I think you're just going to get overwhelmed. And that's what happened to me. Like I just re- kind of rushed into it just cause I thought I had to do it at that moment. And I should have just taken two months to like really, really plan it out better and then do it like, you know, probably start of the new year rather than, you know, whenever I did it, like, you know, October 28th or whatever. It was stupid. Yeah. And I think that's all good advice. It's it is a production. So you have to treat it exactly like a production. You have to schedule it out. You have to budget it out. Um, There's the pre-production phase. There's the production phase and there's the post-production phase on it. Like yeah. it's not it's it's not going to happen easy if you want a good campaign. So you just have to put time and energy into it and treat it like its own separate project, not just as a, a necessary thing to get to the film that you want to make. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do have something to share. I don't know if you've heard of this shit. You probably have, but uh, I just started watching The People versus O.J. Simpson. Oh uh, yeah, oh, my I like that show. God, it's really good. <laughs> it's fun. It's pretty compelling. Yeah, because like you know, I remember watching it when when it happened, like as a kid, like on TV and like the whole chase and all the courtroom coverage and all the SNL skits and all that stuff so like I kind of like it's a part of my my like childhood and my memory but like I don't exactly remember all the exact details of everything so it's fun to watch the show and like sort of see it all unfold dramatically and uh yeah and see the behind the scenes and also how like it became a court case about OJ being black yeah, it didn't start that way, and it's like just like coming off of Rodney King's beating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it like started standing for something bigger, and it seems like that was a calculated move on the part of his defense. Yeah, and then yeah, you know, crazy. just John Travolta, man. I I don't think John Travolta's been that good, and I don't even got God knows how long. I mean, he's like on the top of his game, I think, as far as 
just taking on a character that doesn't feel like it's John Travolta. It feels like it's, you know, Robert Shapiro. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'll second that. I like it too. It's like somewhere in between like a Hollywood movie and a bad made for TV movie, but it, <laughs> it plays the line really well. And it's, it's so fun to watch. I really like it. Yeah. Too. It's just, it's really interesting. It's, 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 it's very, um, I don't know. What's the word? Like, uh, it's just like kind of like candy, you know, like, you know, it's just, it's just like a lot of like Malcolm Jamal Warner as AC yeah. is just like ridiculous <laughs> and fun at the same time. And Cuba Gooding Jr. is really fun. I know everyone's fun. It's just a fun move. It's a fun thing, you know? So yeah, it seems like it could be like a really heavy thing, but it's actually, it's, it's more fun to watch than it is like this heavy, deep Thing, right? Yeah, although the the scene in the first episode where they're like showing the discovery of the of the murders is like it's pretty it's pretty gruesome, <laughs> but it was yeah. but it was perfect. It was just how it should be, you know, and 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 bizarre too. And people, it's like everyone's like, what the fuck? Like what the what the hell? <laughs> like Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh man. Well, I gotta head to work, so take us out. All right. Well, thank you for uh, listening to the show. Uh, if you want to know more. Uh, you can find us um, at our website at makingmoviesishard.com. Uh, oh, that's right. You don't have this in front of you. Oh, huh? I'm, I'm just winging it, bro. Like I, oh, think, I, I love this. Okay, I, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're both on Twitter. Um, you know, I'm at Ulrich B. And Timothy, you're at? At Timothy Plain. And yeah, um, you know, if you like the show, uh, let us know. You can give us a, a review on iTunes, but not Stitcher, apparently, right? All right. Yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, really, like, I feel like the discussions in the comment have kind of, the comment section has sort of died down a little bit. And it would be nice if that was bolstered up some more, you know, because maybe I haven't really been commenting as much as I should be, or I don't know if you have, but uh, let's uh, let's get those comments going again. Like, if you have anything to say about the episode, yeah, you know, speak your mind, put your voice yeah, out there. you're listening to us and you're like, oh, I have something to say. I want to tell these guys what I think about the thank yous on Kickstarter. Just go in the comments and write a quick note. It doesn't have right. to be anything major. Just be like, I totally disagree with you guys. You guys are full of shit. Like, <laughs> thank yous are awesome and then we'll be like cool and then we'll respond and then you can respond back to us and we'll just keep going back and forth and have a little conversation it'd be fun guys yeah exactly really fun and i mean another thing too is like if there's something that you want to hear about that we haven't covered let us know or if there's something that like we talk about too much and like you're kind of bored of hearing about uh let us know that too because like we're just talking about what's important to us and i kind of feel like Sometimes what's important to us is sort of the same kind of thing or the same sort of theme, you know, but uh, I don't know. Just let us know if if it's working for you, if you want to hear different things. Nice. Straight from the heart. I love it. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Ulrich. Thanks, Timothy. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And yeah, have a great week.